hoping for the best, prepared for the worst, and unsurprised by anything in between. PE players will no doubt reflect on this quote for some time. With COVID-19 still laying waste to M&A, Liberty GTS is dropping by to discuss the WNI implications. Are we set for a wave of claims? Will deals become exponentially more expensive to insure? Let's find out on this week's episode of the Unquote Private Equity Podcast. Hello, listener, and welcome to another episode of the Unquote Private Equity Podcast. I am your host, Greg Gilles, and this week we have partnered with Liberty GTS to do a bit of a deep dive on the implications of the coronavirus pandemic on M&A insurance. This segment of the market has, of course, experienced solid growth in recent years, as you all know. The players' underwriting and brokering packages have matured alongside the PE industry itself, and the steady uptick in deal activity has led to a similar rise in the volume of policies being written. Now, I had the pleasure a few months ago of doing a Q&A with Simon Ratcliffe, Claims Counsel for EMEA and APAC at Liberty GTS. It was a great chat, and Simon made the point that the uptick in WNI policies was not due to a change in the fundamentals around transaction risk, because properly underwritten deals had not suddenly become riskier to insure. This was a different time, of course, although to be fair, it could have made that same comment just weeks ago. But we are now living and working in a very different world, so it's probably a very good time to go back and revisit some of the trends at play in that space. I am by no means the greatest expert on the topic, though, and things are changing very rapidly indeed, so I've drafted in two heavyweights to help us navigate this topic. It is my pleasure to be joined by Ron Bramford, the president of Liberty GTS, and Gareth Rees, the firm's chief underwriting officer. Thank you very much to you both for taking the time to be with us today, um, sadly not in studio, but through the magic of Microsoft Teams. Um, Rowan, have you settled into the new home office routine well? Yeah, it's a, it's a change for us, but we're we're very lucky that we have a sort of strong IT function. So working from home is straightforward. However, working and juggling homeschooling is proving a bit more of a challenge. What about you, Gareth? Yeah, as Rowan said, the, the, the IT systems have held up very well. Um, so, you know, we, we've been working pretty effectively. Um, but as Rowan says, it's not 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 without its challenges when you're, you're trying to juggle deals and uh, and childcare at the same time. Absolutely. Right. So first of all, gentlemen, I'd quite like to get your take on the wider market just to get a bit of a situation going on. It's been a crazy few weeks and it's fair to say the deal flow has been pretty severely affected uh, from where we stand here anyway. From your point of view, what are the main uncertainties currently facing the world economy and what effect will that have on m activity? Uh, perhaps with a specific focus on the, on the European market. Um, Rowan, do you want to get us started with that one? Yeah, thanks, Craig. Um, so this is something that you know we, we're thinking about on a, on a on a daily basis, and um, you know how how COVID and the lockdown will affect the business uh, and the MA market generally. Um, and it's really it boils down to how long it will go, go on for and how long the lockdown will, will last. Um, we, we've sort of we've modelled this for our own purposes, our own business planning purposes, and and we you know there are two there are two schools of thought. There's the optimistic view, which says you know this will all Europe will will leave lockdown within the next six to eight weeks. Things will start getting back back to to normal. M and A um, acquirers, private equity firms who have sat on um, a lot of dry powder, will be ready to do deals and will be ready to to go again once their executives can can 
can get traveling and, and diligencing assets. So that, that's the optimistic view. The less optimistic view is that this is going to go on for a lot longer. Lockdown is going to continue in one form or another um, to the end of the year. Um, it's going to drive a deep recession, which um, will see businesses fail um, and banks become cautious about lending making it hard for uh, private equity acquirers to get the leverage that they need to do deals. And therefore, we're going to see a real slowdown in deal activity through, through to the end of the year and then perhaps all the way through 2021. We um, actually um, feel, in terms of our business, quite nicely hedged. We, we believe that um, the answer to what will happen will fall somewhere in the middle. Um, but in terms of our products, if if deal activity doesn't get back to the level it was at in January and February, um, we still feel there'll, there'll be opportunities for us um, because there'll be distress sales for sure um, with assets that will have to come to market um, as forced sales. And there'll be acquirers of those assets that are out there ready to do, do a deal at a particular price. And what we'll see is that those, those acquirers will be more cautious in their deal doing and therefore you know, our, our product offering will be more attractive. So we'll see perhaps fewer deals through to the back end of this year, and maybe um, at the start of next year, but we think there'll be more penetration in our product um, on those deals, and there'll be more, as a percentage of those deals that are done, more will buy insurance as a result. Yeah, and I'm, sh- I'm sure we'll come back to that, to that theme of a potential upcoming deal flow a, a little bit later on. Um, just to, to stick to the here and now sort of thing, um, Gareth, uh, I wanted to ask you if, if we're looking specifically at the ramifications of uh, the current crisis on, on WNI policies, what's been the immediate effect of the initial shock? And by that, I mean, are we already seeing a sharp rise in the number of claims as uh, businesses potentially are already failing or are we still some some way off that? I, I think we're... I, I think we're some way off that. Um, in, indeed, if, if, if we do ever get to that point, I think the you know the, the the immediate effect for for our market is really an an inevitable knock on of the fact that there are just fewer deals happening at the moment, mm-hmm. um, and so you know it, it it may well be the case um, that we we do see buyers looking to be um, a bit more cautious and being maybe more concerned about protecting their downside, which may perhaps increase the proportion of deals getting insured but sort of here and now there are just fewer fewer deals in the market um we we haven't seen to to your second question we haven't seen any um material impact in the number of notifications Mm -hmm. that that we're receiving and I, i think it's worth bearing in mind that um you know in order for there to be a, a good claim on a WNI policy, you know, a, any loss needs to be tied to a breach of a warranty. Okay. Um, a, you know, a business failing in and of itself, you know, is is not enough. Now, I think what we can probably um, predict with a, a, a degree of certainty is that if if there are um, you know a, a community of, of buyers out there who feel that they've overpaid, and I think we we probably identify the the riskiest category of these deals would be where where the buyer has been has been basically transacting right around the time that COVID really hit, mm-hmm. and so hasn't been able to 
price the impact of COVID into its deal. I think in those circumstances, we could see buyers feeling that they've overpaid, which may may then lead to um, to them claiming on WNI policies as a as a means to seek to claw back um, a, a bit of that value that they think they may have given away. Would would that be likely to succeed? Would would that be likely enough uh, a cause for, for it to trigger? Not an electric, you know, a, a a downturn in performance in and of itself will, will not be enough. That there will need to be a causal link between a breach of warranty and the buyer suffering loss. Fair enough. Um, and could you perhaps go over some of the other issues that, that could be uh, triggering warranty breaches or likely to do so in, in the near term? Um, and perhaps have you seen any hotspots emerging already in terms of other geographies or sectors, uh, if not emerging right now, but that you think potentially will, will uh, be quite active in that space? Sure. I mean, as I say, we, we've not seen, um, you know, a, a glut of new mm. COVID related claims. So, I, you know, I can't say yet whether there there will be any particular um, warranties that that emerge in time, but we you know clearly we've been thinking about this and we've we've identified several categories of warranties as perhaps being higher risk, um, and that that would include warranties that are speaking to um, the, the adequacy of the target business's IT systems. I mean, clearly, as as we all know um, ourselves from the you know the the, the the new the new world of working from home. Um, our IT systems are under, you know, a, a lot of strain at the moment. Um, to the extent that uh, a, a buyer has has bought a business whose IT systems are not performing as well as, as expected, and there was any warranty in the sale documentation um, speaking to their adequacy, then that's that's an area where we we think that that there's certainly a higher risk of claims. Uh, similarly, um, there could be warranties that speak to adequacy of the target's um, insurance program. And again, as a, people will have seen in the press, there's been lots of speculation as to whether certain um, categories of policy, um, you know, thinking business interruption in particular, will respond to uh, COVID-related claims to the extent that the buyer has, has bought a business um, whose policies do not respond in, in the way that they would hope or expect. And again, there's a warranty that speaks to adequacy of insurance then again that that is i think certainly a, a higher risk area um, from our perspective um we've been thinking a lot around um contract warranties um and you, you've got to sort of look at this um or sort of split the contracts between customers and suppliers um if you have a scenario where a business is dependent on you know a small number of of key customers um and and, and any of them um maybe themselves get into financial difficulties which leads to the target seeing um a diminution in revenue to the extent that any of those warranties should have prompted a disclosure around the uh, the financial position of those customers that, that again could be something that could could give rise to a warranty claim um, and I think everyone's also been looking very hard at um, supply chains and again to the extent that um, the target supply chain fails um, and that could be tied back to um, a, a breach of warranty again we, th- we think that's a, that's certainly a, a higher risk area. Um, I mean, w- one of the other things that, that we've been thinking about as well as warranties themselves would be particular deal structures 
that could be um, higher risk in, in the current environment. And, and, and the ones that we're um, looking at in particular are, are deals where you've got quite a significant gap between signing and closing mm-hmm. and the documents are structured in such a way that the the, the warranties that are re- repeated at closing um your 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 warrantors don't have an ability to disclose against those warranties and if if during that period um trading conditions at target have worsened um if there is no ability to update disclosure and essentially put the buyer formally on notice of that then I th- we we again perceive that to be something that w- certainly has a possibility to, to le- lead to an uptick in claims on those closing warranties okay is is that um types of deals in particular or is it any deal where there is likely to be a gap for, for whatever reason that is uh, perhaps you know the, the parties agreed to a longer time to completion in the first place or is it more in relation to uh particularly large deals or i'm thinking you know uh, take complex carve outs or that sort of thing the gap between signing and closing is, is is very often um some form of uh merger filing or notification mm. needs to be mm-hmm. made and that's i think mo- most commonly the case in um in the us it's fairly unusual for uh, north american deals not to have a gap between signing and closing closing the, the question is really just how how long that gap might be of course um, thank you very much for that. Um, Ron, I'll come back to you uh, to go back slightly on the more transactional side, I guess. Um, and you alluded to earlier to you know, potential opportunities uh, on the horizon um, based on, on previous experience. So what are your expectations for the midterm? So obviously, m activity is depressed right now. Uh, but And that's, correct me if I'm wrong, I would imagine a number of GPs that are currently still looking to do deals opportunistically in the current environment will still want to be well covered is that right and do you expect a bit of an uptick yeah yeah we we do um i mean we um we have a fairly optimistic view on on, on the future and but but so it doesn't won't surprise you that knowing that we're, we're all ex-lawyers we sort of take a hmm. halfway halfway house view on the on the optimistic and the pessimistic views on life so we we, we do see there being um certain sectors that are very badly affected you know the leisure sector being um an obvious an obvious one and in that sector there will be distressed sellers, so there will be opportunities for those pe funds that like that kind of deal that distressed deal um but the kind of the normal business that, that we see those are the non-distressed businesses we, we we do feel that will come back and we do feel it will come back relatively soon um just due to the fact that you know, we know that um, funds are sitting on a lot of dry powder. Um, they they need to and want to invest, and the investors want returns. Um, we know that before COVID um, came along, from what we saw, the market was pretty buoyant in March and um, February. So it fell off a cliff in, in March, but there was there was sentiment to do deals then. Um, and what has what has stopped stop that those deals being done are is, is the inability to travel, the inability to transact um, caused, caused by the lockdown. So, um, you know, we are still seeing deals done now in, in asset classes where, um, you know, people are comfortable without being, having to be able to diligence in depth on site. So deals for infrastructure assets are still still happening where people can form a view on, on the assets more easily remotely. 
Um, but you know, those will continue to happen, and then we'll see the more um, the more vanilla deals come back first. Um, but you know, we 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 do see a steady growth in deal flow to the back end of the year, and we've we've sort of built our business plans on on the back of that assumption. Okay, so basically, if we're looking at you know, when do you expect the market to get moving a reasonable pace again that would be more uh, starting 20, 2021 is that the sort of the, the approach that you're, you're looking at well greg it depends on what day i wake up i wake up on uh, mm. and what's happening outside if the sun is shining but yep. if, if it, it's an optimistic day say before that i would say okay. um september i think there'll be a bit of flurry people trying to get a deal in at the end you know before the end of the um the calendar year but yeah you're okay. right really 2021 you know we see that being a lot and and then hopefully uh, players adopt a, a sort of a, a belt and braces uh, approach for the foreseeable future, and then we see an uptick in uh, in warranties being undertaken. Or is that a bit too optimistic? <laughs> no, I mean, so anecdotally, we had a sort of similar we had a downturn. Um, you know, the back end of the early two thousands. Mm. Um, everyone said, "Oh, the warranty indemnity business is going to is going to really struggle." Actually, we found that it was our biggest biggest period of growth. Um, because everyone was nervous, right? And everyone was saying, well, I'm, I want to do this deal because I've, I've got to do the deal and I've got funding, but I'm nervous I'm going to be made to look look foolish because I'm going to overpay for this target. Um, so, you know, one of the tools that you have in your toolbox is to buy the insurance to cover your cover your downside if, if things aren't they seem. Yeah, which is, uh, and again, based on the, the likely reoccurrence of, of this scenario, obviously the, the, the shock might be, might be lessened, um, but I think that, that's something that, uh, that's bound to be on people's mind for quite some time. Um, so that, that absolutely makes sense. One thing I wanted to ask you, and uh, perhaps I'll turn to you, Gareth, on that one, is uh, from a PE perspective, either on the buy or sell side uh, for that matter, does that mean that deals are going to get much more expensive to insure? And is that something that GPs should should keep in mind for the foreseeable future? Um, well, certainly at the moment, um, as as we've we've all discussed, there there are there are fewer deals out there. Mm. Um, there is still you know significant capacity in the WNI market, um, and so you know we are competing ferociously um, with the various competitors um, in the market to, to win transactions. So, you know, there, there has certainly been no, no increase, um, mm. you know, right, right, right now. Um, it, having said that, um, if, uh, you know, some of the gloomier predictions, you know, do, do come true and we do see, um, an, an increase in, in claims activity that could then uh, force up the reinsurance costs. Uh, we could see capacity coming out of the market, and, and in those circumstances, you know, it, it, it could well be that we see pricing increase. Um, but you know, I, I don't think that's going to happen in you know in, in the in the near term, and to, to the extent that it it does happen, you know, I. I I can't see a, a you know a, a world in which we're we're going back to sort of pricing that was you know more common in the market five or six years ago, um, because I, I think there will still remain um, you know a, a good amount of capacity in the market that will keep keep pricing you know at, at, at a pretty competitive level. Yeah, of course, it, it is still a very competitive market, uh, as you said, uh, and that's actually brings to mind something that Simon Ratcliffe and I previously discussed. 
uh, in our Q&A, which was how the WNI market could evolve as more claims were being triggered, leading clients to become uh, more aware, more selective when looking for an insurer. Obviously, that was a few weeks ago, a few months ago, in fact. But he specifically mentioned claim service experience uh, and the ability to deal with large claims, both of which I think are now probably quite relevant. Um, so, Rowan, do you think the, the current crisis uh, is the litmus test for uh, for the ability of some of the markets to weather that storm? And do you expect a, a shake-up of the market in the coming month? Yes, I, I do. And, and this answer is going to be slightly self-serving. But, um, you know, I think what, what we'll see is um, it'll be it'll be based on partly on, on the ability to handle claims. So, um, buyers of the product will look at you know again you know they're nervous they think there's a real chance they're going to have to make a claim on this policy so claims can be at the forefront of their mind so they're going to look at the big carriers with big balance sheets that have a history of paying claims and also have an easy claims process and that, that are transparent about how those claims are handled and they will place value on that in a way they didn't perhaps two months ago mm-hmm. um the other the other facet is as well they'll be looking at you know, who is who has aside from you know how cuddly and and warm their claim service is who has like the strong covenant to pay this claim so who who am i actually buying the policy from let's look at the company let's look at the credit rating um that will certainly be driven in many cases for, for our institutional clients by their by their credit committees demanding um all, all the banks that are lending demanding a carrier of a certain standing um so that i think we'll see um, some of the smaller players, some of the MGAs that are in this space that aren't actually insurers themselves, um, struggling to win the mandates from those clients that have those sensitivities. Um, of course, they'll still have a, a, play, a part to play and there'll be, be clients that would want to use them because they, you know, for whatever reason, they're cheaper or w- whatever it might be. But the, the big institutionals will, um, I think, value claim service and financial strength above bubble things in the sort of in the medium to long term okay um that's obviously a lot of these developments are perhaps a few months away um both on the transactional side and uh, the very particulars of your market as well uh, so it'll be really interesting to, to keep an eye on that and i'm sure we'll we'll be in touch again uh, before long to, to discuss that some more uh, unfortunately i'm afraid that's uh, that's all the time we have today we're gonna have to wrap up this episode but i'd like to thank you very much both for joining the podcast uh, and i'm sure liberty gts will be happy to answer more questions uh, so we'll leave details in the uh, the episode notes as well for those that are interested um, so thank you very much, Rowan, for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you very much. And thank you, Gareth, as well. Thanks very much, Greg. Thank you. Uh, and before we go, I'd like to thank you all, of course, for listening. Don't hesitate to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, etc. Uh, we'll be back with another episode soon, most likely on secondaries, uh, which are likely to see some very interesting developments in the coming weeks, too. Uh, in the meantime, I hope you're all keeping safe and sane wherever you are. And I'll see you soon on the Uncooked Private Equity Podcast. Thank you.